My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church. And before we jump into the message, um, I just need a moment. My brain and heart kind of have to do an uh, emotional 180 here. But um, I have some exciting news for you. Uh, the last year has been a little nuts, right? Fuel. Right to anybody else? Good. So at Village Church, uh, we have been working for over the last year, year and a half uh, on something that you know and we know as Village Church Digital. So if you've gone to our website, it says coming soon. Well, this Wednesday, the coming soon sign ends and we are finally able to launch Village Church Digital. Now, most of you don't know what it is. So I want to take a moment and I want to bring you into what we have been working on. Uh, If you have not noticed, uh, so much of the world has gone down a much more digital route. People are actually going to training less in person, and and they're going to learn and more and be trained on digital platforms. Uh, Churches all across America are actually having a much harder time hosting things like Sunday schools or trainings that are every single week. And so what we saw over the last couple years is that moving down the digital path um, for training is a very, very necessary thing to do. So we have been working and creating multiple hundreds and thousands, actually, over the last couple of years of resources that will bless you and help you make disciples. So let me give you an illustration of what this might look like. Um, you are here, you're part of Village Church, and you're thinking to yourself, um, I really want to go deeper on a subject on tithing. I want to go deeper into a subject on spiritual gifts, on apologetics. And so you can go to Village Church Digital and search any word, and there are tons of resources that it pulls from that will help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you are discipling somebody. They're a brand new Christian and they've got lots of questions. Well, um, you can go into our search engine and, and maybe you're like, hey, like five years ago or three years ago, um, Pastor Mike or Pastor Craig preached a sermon and all I remember is these words. Well, you can search every word of every sermon that we have ever given for like years. Maybe you're like, there was a Q&A podcast on a a subject. Where do I find that? You press it in. There it goes. It all comes up right in front of you. It could be about a specific resource or subject. So let me give you a little bit of like a, a insight into what you're going to find on Village Church Digital. Um, do you guys remember the Village Church Q&A podcast? Do you guys remember that? We recorded over 700 episodes, which are all going to be accessible on Village Church Digital. Um, we also, we've revamped this. It's now called Village Church Q&A. Amanda Diaz is my co-host, and we've already finished recording the the first 50 episodes of season one. They're getting up and ready to go. As of Wednesday, the first 25 will release. We go through all different kinds of questions about Christian life, big questions you're asking. And, uh, and so we're very excited about that. That's on a YouTube platform. It's also on podcasting. You can also find a written version of all of it. And so that's there for you to just grow in and search and, and, and grow as a disciple of Jesus. We're also launching another show. It's called Village Church Mental Health. It's by and fueling my wife and talking about the mental health issues that have come up in this world. It's about the convergence of theology and mental health. Have you noticed that? I don't know. Maybe there's more mental health issues happening recently. Anybody? Okay, good. Um, also, uh, another show that we are launching this Wednesday is called Village Church Sermon Q&A. Every single Monday after our messages, Pastor Craig, uh, Pastor Alex at Alliance Bible Church, and myself, we go into the studio and we record the top two, three biggest unanswered questions from our sermon. 
And so we've been doing this all the way back for, I think, four or five months now. So on Wednesday, actually, you'll be able to go back. If you see one of our sermons, you'll also be able to see all the sermon Q&A back a few months, um, uh, especially through this Exodus series. Uh, at the end of the service, I'm going to tell you the questions that we're going to be launching this Wednesday for this week's sermon. So we'll save that for then. We're also launching uh, 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 what we call Village Church Courses. Um, these are discipleship courses that are digital and on the go. So let's say you are a brand new Christian or you're discipling a brand new Christian and you want to go deeper into spiritual warfare. So you'll follow and take the course, how to fight spiritual war. Maybe you're working with a brand new Christian and and they don't know where the Bible came from. So you can take the course, where did I get my Bible from? Uh, Maybe they don't know how to pray. You can take the course, how do I pray? And so we're launching courses uh, late summer, fall, and then every month we'll be releasing uh, probably another course, probably every month or two, another course to help you grow spiritually. Um, those, that's some of the new content that's going to be coming up there, as well as you're going to find all of our sermons from Village Church East and Carroll Stream, all of our sermons from Village Church of Bartlett, as well as all of the leadership training that we do will be recorded and posted by the end of August. On top of that, we have Village Church articles where people, men and women from Village Church are writing disciple-making, helpful content um, to help you grow in your walk with Jesus. Can you tell this is no small feat? right? And uh, behind the scenes have been an incredible crew of men and women who have worked to build an infrastructure that makes it as easy as humanly possible for you to know what you want and to find it as simply as possible. So we're very excited. If there's any way we can serve you or content you would like created that would help you grow in your walk with Jesus, Village Church Digital is made primarily by leaders from Village Church for you, our friends of Village Church. So also on top of that, what we know is that most people, as they come to Village Church, they are spending months and months and months watching and engaging online before they even step a foot into our doors. So we want to make some content accessible for them. We have multiple people who have not been able to walk back through the doors of our church because of physical issues. We want to be able to serve them. Many of you are doing Bible studies and you're doing um, some studies with people at work or in your neighborhood, and you know they are never going to walk to the doors of a church. So this is simple content that you can literally on your cell phone, copy, paste, send them, hey, check this out. I'd love to process this with you. And so there are so many ways that we believe this can serve you as you follow Jesus and as you help make disciples who are going, growing, and overcoming. So um, that's going to be launching Wednesday as a teaser episode. We, we released one teaser episode about whether or not Christians should have tattoos or not. That came out. That's on Village Church Digital now. It's a pre-release. And then tomorrow, or I think it's tomorrow or Tuesday, we're going to be releasing this question. When is it okay to disobey the government? Anybody excited <laughs> to listen to that one? It's going to be a trip. And I encourage you to uh, watch and or listen to it. And so that's just the tip of the iceberg of what's going to be coming. And our goal, again, is to love and serve you really well in this arena. Sound good, Village Church? Yeah, awesome. All right, very good. All right, so uh, let's shift gears. I want to talk about uh, the Bible now. So this morning, uh, could we talk about tithes, offerings, and fundraisers? Yeah? Anybody excited about that? You're like, huh. All right, the, This is, uh, I know most of you are like, oh man, he's going to ask for money. I'm actually not going to ask for a dime today. Uh, But what I want to do is I want to share with you what I think might be some surprising news about tithes and offering that probably most of us in this room are not aware of. Did you know that the New Testament 
nowhere, not one place, commands Christians to give 10% to their local church. Some of you are like, oh, thank God. <laughs> Let me be really clear. I wish it did. Because <laughs> here's what would happen if it did. Number one, literally there would be millions and millions and millions of dollars that we could serve our city. We could not have to run fundraiser building campaigns. We could do evangelism events. We could plant church after church. We could make sure everybody has everything they need. I mean, gosh, what you could do would be, be crazy. I mean, if that were a law across America and the globe, the church would be the most well-funded organization outside of the government, right? It'd be crazy. Number two, it'd be a lot easier to preach, because most pastors are like, oh, what are they going to think of me if we talk about giving? They're going to think I just want their money, but I don't. Well, some do, but I don't, you know, like that whole thing. And I could, I could just preach to, like tithing as if it were stealing or murder with that kind of clarity, right? That would be a whole lot easier. So what does the New Testament command Christians to tithe? Well, I'm not going to tell you right now. I'm hoping to answer that by the end of the sermon so that you stick around with me. Now, in order to understand New Testament tithing and offering, you have to understand this. What we understand and what the Bible teaches in the New Testament as tithes and offering, they're based on a very specific kind of Old Testament offering, and it's the kind of Old Testament offering Moses used to fund the building of the tabernacle. It was called a free will offering. Free will offering, it's a voluntary religious offering made in addition to what is required by a promise or duty. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Free will offerings were usually given in one of two ways. It was either an animal because it was an agrarian culture and this was of high value, especially if you wanted to, I don't know, eat and live. That was number one. Number two, it would be materials that you would bring that were typically materials that your family worked with in your family's occupation. So if you were a pottery maker, then you might bring clay or you might make some pots and for the whatever you're funding in that specific free will offering. Maybe you are a cloth maker or a clothes maker, and so you're going to bring different materials that people make clothes out of. Uh, depending on what you did for a living, that would often predetermine the kind of offering, free will offering, that you would bring. Now, we got to go back in time because most people think that they had some kind of coinage in, say, 1300 B or 13th century BC. Uh, they did not. In fact, the earliest coins that we find are about 770 BC in China. So this idea of coinage was not a thing in the 13th century BC, or at least as far as archaeologists have been able to find. You'll hear words in the Old Testament like a shekel, but a shekel did become a coin, but before that, it was a unit of measure. It was a certain amount of something that you would bring. And so you don't have coins, and people typically traded goods and services. And here's how you knew you were rich. You had a lot of things that people would pay for. So if you had a lot of things that people would pay for, then you had a lot of money and power and access, etc. So free will offerings are really useful to God. They're useful to God for multiple reasons. I want to highlight two. Number one is when the people give a free will offering, it is a snapshot for God into the hearts of the people. Because we, we fund what we love, do we not? And so as offerings are taken, particularly and usually for specific projects, 
um, God would be able to, he would be able to see very clearly where the hearts of the people were, were at. But the second thing that it would do is it would also fund big projects. So for example, the tabernacle funded by free will, the temple funded, funded by free will offering, the rebuilding of the temple funded by free will offerings. And so there were major projects throughout the Old Testament that were funded not by the regular quote unquote taxes given to the temple required by law, but through this above and beyond free will offering where the vision would go to the people and the people would go home and pray and then they would bring whatever they wanted to bring. Uh, free will offerings uh, were honestly such a great insight into people's heart. Uh, in Amos chapter 5, what happens is the Jews are rebuked for their free will offerings. They're giving, but here's what they do. They come in and they start bragging to each other about their free will offering. By the way, should you brag about how much money you give to anyone anywhere out of personal private generosity? The answer is not at all. That's actually arrogant and dumb. And yet, for some reason, the Jews kind of lost sight of the main things and, and they would be bragging about their free will offerings and God single-handedly rebukes them. Uh, the first free will offering we actually see in scripture technically is the golden calf. And so they freely, willingly gave to this disgusting, debaucherous idol um, that was from the land of Egypt because it made them feel like they were close to God. All right, now open up your Bibles, Exodus chapter 25. We're going to actually go back and forth between Exodus 25 and 35, and I'll have most of the scriptures on the screens today. And so this morning, we're going to do actually, we're going to look at Moses' fundraising campaign for the tabernacle, and then we're going to learn quite a bit about um, the New Testament style of offerings, tithes, fundraisers, etc. And I think we have a lot to learn here. Some of you are new to the Bible. You don't know what a tabernacle is. Very simply, a tabernacle is a tent. And for ancient Israel, the tabernacle would be a tent that they would build where God's presence would physically be. And so this place would be the singular place in the entire world where you could be near the physical manifest presence of God. Now, if I were to ask you, what percentage of the book of Exodus is devoted to the building of the tabernacle, what would you guess? Before I studied this, I probably would have told you 5%, maybe 7 Now, I've read Exodus a bunch. I've actually taught through it. And why my brain goes to that number, I have no idea. Well, actually, 32% of the book of Exodus is devoted to the building and the funding of the tabernacle. I mean, this is a huge, monstrous theme in the book of Exodus. If this was a Sunday school class, we'd probably spend two to four months looking at each aspect of the tabernacle one by one by one. So this morning, though, I want to show you three principles about free will offerings, and then we're going to apply them to us. Number one, free will offerings are willing. Does that blow anybody's mind right now? They're willing. Look at Exodus 25, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. So this vocabulary here is going to be essential because free will offerings, hear me, cannot be coerced or manipulated. And have you ever sat in a sermon and felt manipulated to give, coerced to give? It ceases to be a free will offering at that point. It appears, by the way, that all the way back, 1300 BC and before, 
it was not uncommon that free will offerings in pagan cultures were manipulated or they were coerced. But the people of God are going to do something very different. Now, I can only imagine Moses' quandary right here. God's like, I want you to build a tabernacle. And Moses thinks to himself, this is going to be really expensive. And they've already given all of their free will offerings just recently to build this idolatrous, disgusting golden calf. And Moses is probably thinking, God, that's a great idea. But do you know these people? Because their heart loves the presence of idols more than your presence. And God's like, no, I, I really want you to do this, and this is going to happen. And, and there's a wonderful spiritual law that every spiritual leader eventually learns. And it goes like this. God always funds his vision in his time. So let's say the Lord wants something for Village Church. Do you think that your stubborn heart is going to stop God from getting what he wants or mine? Probably not. If you won't, someone else will, right? The Lord is just way smarter than all of our stubbornness. If the Lord has an agenda, the Lord kind of gets his agenda done. He's got a way about him. And I have watched and you have watched spiritual leaders use coercion and manipulation to try to extort people for as much money as they possibly can. And you and I both know this does not bring God glory. In fact, what we see in the New Testament is that our offerings, our tithes, are patterned not after law offerings, but after the free will offering. And I want to I show you this, and then I want to keep reading, and then I want to show you this in the New Testament. The, this principle, I think, needs to be expanded. God always funds his vision in his time through the willing generosity of his people willing generosity of his people. Uh, fast forward 10 chapters to Exodus 35. 25 is God telling Moses about what's going to happen with the tabernacle. 35 is God actually going to the people and then getting the offering. Chapter 35, verse 21. And they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. Do you hear coercion or manipulation? Not at all. And they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of the meeting, the tabernacle, and for all of its service and for the holy garments. Verse 22 says this, so they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart. Now, I want to jump to the New Testament. I want to show you one of the most helpful passages on generosity, tithing, and offering. It's in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. And the context here is that Paul's taking an offering for struggling Christians in Jerusalem. But he shares a bigger principle of generosity and tithing. And here's what it says, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. What does this mean? You go home, you see a need, you meet that need after you personally go and you pray about it. It might be more than 10%, under 10%. God may not even think, communicate with you in, temp, in percentage paradigms. It might be something else. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. People think God wants your money. Can I just be straight with you? God does not need your money. God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. And wherever you send your money, there follows your heart. 
And so God wants your heart to be invested in the kingdom. And when you think about your resources, your time, your talents, your treasure, and you begin to invest those in the kingdom, whether it's a Bible study, whether it's missionaries, whether it's your local church, doesn't matter what it is. When you invest your money in the kingdom, guess what happens to your heart? Your heart grows in love for the kingdom of God. Most people think pastors are, God's desperate because pastors are desperate. That's not the case. What God wants is for your heart to be for him and his kingdom on this earth. And if you take all of your excess money and you invest it in yourself, what will be your heart devoted to? Yourself. So God knows the way we're made. He's not desperate just because some pastors and spiritual leaders on TV act desperate. What God wants is uncoerced, unmanipulated, willing your heart. There's a, a church down south, and you guys know down south, like funny things happen, right? Like they're different sometimes. And the more rural you get, the more trippy it can be. And so I lived down south for a while. I loved going to different kinds of churches. I loved the cross-cultural experience. And I took a group of students to a church once, and, and uh, it came time for the offering, and the band got up, and they played this really upbeat, like, jivey song. Everything was happy. And then all of a sudden, this guy, he, like, starts walking down, and he's got this envelope, and he's waving his hand. And I'm like, what is happening right now? And then all my students look at me, and they're like, what's happening right now? I'm like, I have no idea. And he's waving, and then there's, like, this big cauldron-like bucket at the front of the church. And so I had seen it. I didn't know what it was for. I thought it was kind of like witchy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. But so anyways, I, while he walks up and he drops it into this cauldron as he does. Everyone applause. Yay. Whatever. Another person gets up and they've got some cash, you know, and they put it in and another person has a check and I'm thinking, this is really, really socially coercive. Like this is not right. And uh, I imagine this is what's going on in my brain. One dude had an envelope, you know, and I imagine it's like completely empty. And he's like, ha ha, yeah, you know. <laughs> Anyways, don't do that. But I went there and I'm thinking to myself, like, this is manipulation and social coercion. And it's not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And there were so many things about it that I was like, you know what? I, under I understand why most Christians think don't like sermons on tithing because the pastors act desperate or manipulative or coercive. And I think Moses sets this really great pattern for us. And then Paul repeats it, which is tell the people the need, let them go home and pray and let them do what they want. And that if it's really from the Lord, the Lord will fund his vision in his time through the willing generosity of the people. Now, here's the second principle of free will offerings. Free will offerings have a clear what, why, and how. Now, God would spend quite a bit of detail in Exodus telling the how, but look at chapter 25, verse 3. He tells them the what. He says, this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linens, Goat's hair, like I imagine someone's like, I've got goat's hair. I've got a ton of goats. Just pick up the hair and bring it in. This is amazing. Goat's hair, okay, good. Tanned ram skins, very specific. Appreciate that. Goat skins, acacia wood, which is beautiful. If you ever go to my house and see the wood on our first floor, it's, it's acacia wood. Oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. Onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And I love this. God's, God's 
funding everything. It's not just the building, but it's also the ministry. And then verse 8 tells us the why. Let them make me a sanctuary, a house for worship. Why? That I may dwell in their midst. What does God want? Presence with his people. And when his people are near him, the result is transformation. What God wants is presence and transformation. And he is prioritizing this. And that's what all of this is about. So when Moses casts the vision, he says, here's how it's going to happen. Here's what you need to bring. And here's why we're doing it. Don't you love the transparency? Don't you just love like that? Hey, it's as simple as this. Here's the what, here's the when, here's the how, here's the why. And this is what you should expect. That when you give your free will offerings, you should have a very clear semblance of what it goes to. Can we just take a moment here and maybe appreciate the gravity of what God is asking Moses to do right now? This tabernacle would become, when God's presence entered it, the single most important place on the entire globe. This would be the most important place where the presence of God dwelled. Nobody could be any closer to God than they were closer to the tabernacle. And God would uniquely dwell amongst this people so that if you wanted to be a part of the family of God, you had to be connected to this nation, this family of Israel. And this draws out something I think very just an important value as we think about offerings and tithing and fundraising and that God loves places, spaces, and experiences that measurably help people connect with him and flourish spiritually. So when you're thinking about the kingdom of God and you're thinking about tithes and offerings or free will offerings, your money, your time, your talents, your treasures, your resources, I know that that God loves places and spaces and experiences and ministries where people can connect with him and flourish spiritually. It's why the local church, I think, is, is one of the most important places in the entire world because it's the primary place where we have spiritual family. But doggone it, we have missionaries and we, the, the, we just love and we support them and we have so many things going on locally and globally and you have partnerships and people you're really excited about. And, and what we want to encourage you to do is to say, listen, find what God is doing and support it. Figure out how to support it. Go home and pray and say, God, what do you want me to do? 10% is a ridiculous number because for some, it is far too low. For some, it is far too high given what is going on in your life. At some point, you got to get rid of this 10% thing and go before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I need to give in such a way that it builds your kingdom and that my heart will follow this. So help me. Open my eyes to what's around me. Help me figure out what's going on in my local church, in my community, with missionaries, with ministries all over the world. God, I want to build your kingdom. All right, number three on free will offerings. Free will offerings are according to prosperity, not percentage. Meaning, God is not going to ask you to do something unreasonable or impossible when it comes to free will offerings. Look at verse, uh, chapter 35, verse 24. says this, everyone who could make a contribution. There's an implication here in the inverse. Not everybody could. Some of you are here. You would love 
to give. Some of you have the gift of generosity. Your entire brain is wired and you are looking for ways to accelerate what God is doing in different places. And yet maybe a family catastrophe, maybe a series of just really difficult things. Maybe you just have a job that doesn't pay a lot and you've got 14 kids. Like there could be a million reasons why you want to, but are not able to, or at least to the level that you want, but your heart is just wired for generosity. Like, I can't tell you why or what or how, but I, here's what I know. I know that sometimes in any community, it is not a sin to not be able to do what you wish you could because life is happening all around you. But I want to come back to this sense that most people believe God is desperate because pastors on TV or maybe your pastors that you know act desperate when it comes to giving. And I just want to come back to this again and again. I want you to hear me say this. God is not desperate. God wants your heart. And he knows that whatever you give to, your heart will follow. So it, again, it appears that there were swindlers in the Old Testament. There were swindlers in the New Testament. There's swindlers today. Let's go to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. Here's what Paul says. He says, for if the readiness is there... It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Do you guys see that? Like if you don't have any money, God's not going to say, give me a whole lot of money that you don't have. That's actually not the way free will offerings work. Free will offerings come from your prosperity. Okay, They come from the money you have, not the money you do not have. The same principle is found in the book of Acts chapter 11. I'll just put the text on or the the verse on the screen. I'll read this to you. It's an interesting story about the beginning of the church. It says, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Saul, can we say this again? God always funds his vision in his time through the willing generosity of his people. Now, are you curious how it all panned out? Guess what? The tabernacle got built, but in Exodus 36 is one of the most hilarious paragraphs in the Old Testament. Let's just listen carefully. This is great. Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab. These are the project managers for the building of the tabernacle. And every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. So that all the craftsmen, they all have like this meeting, who were doing every sort of task in the sanctuary, all of them, they came, each from the task that he was doing. Listen carefully. They, they go to Moses, and here's what they say. The people bring much more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded us to do. Isn't that hilarious? Weren't you kind of expecting, we don't have enough. <laughs> and so they actually have to stop their work and saying, Tell the people to stop being so generous. We have more than enough. It gets better. So Moses gave command. He has to have like some executive fiat here. 
and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. (laughs) Wouldn't you love your pastor to get up and say, for the rest of the year, no more tithes and offerings. We cannot count all the money coming in. We are deeply inconvenienced by all of the checks that are being sent to the church. (laughs) So good. I love it. So it gets better. So the people, listen to this, the people were restrained from bringing. They're like, we're not going to stop. Like, no more. For the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. All right. Uh, before we get to the so what's, let's just do a, a time of introspection. Uh, there's no guilt. There's no shame. I'm going to ask you a simple question. I'm going to put some categories on the screen. And then what I want you to be able to do is just kind of place yourself. And then when you go home later, maybe tonight or tomorrow morning, I just want you to talk to God about wherever you are at here. All right. Which Israelites are you most like? Uh, option one is you are willing to, to give, I'm not talking just local church, you're just willing to give to support the kingdom, but you're unable. So maybe you've had this like desire, but maybe there's a lack of resources. Maybe there's been something that's happened in your family. There's a lot of reasons why this is. Maybe you're married to a non-Christian who won't let you give. I mean, that's a whole different category of generosity here that you got to work through. Here's category number two. You are unwilling and unable so you're like, even if I had the money, I wouldn't, <laughs> right? Psh, I don't trust you guys. I don't trust anybody. I spend money on myself. Okay, cool. Number three, able and unwilling. I mean, I could, but I'm not giving you my money. I mean, I, I got a lot of money. I, mean, I just, I eat out, I go on big vacations. I'm not giving you that, right? You're able, but you are unwilling. Maybe you're unwilling for good reasons, Last time I gave you money, you weren't trustworthy with it. Why would I give you more, right? So maybe there actually is something legitimate there. Number four is you are able and willing. You have um, excess beyond meeting your minimal provisions. You prioritize the building of the kingdom. It's through your local church. Maybe it's through missionaries or nonprofits you support. Uh, You prioritize investing in God's kingdom. And you are keeping things moving and able to function because, as you know, without resources, none of this happens. You guys know that, right? Like this requires resources to happen. There's a fifth category here, and um, you are able and generous. The reason I put this as a fifth category is because some people truly do have the spiritual gift of generosity and giving. And you are not just willing to do whatever the Lord asks you to do, but like you live with eyes wide open, looking for opportunities to accelerate what God is doing. Like you're like, oh, I see that. You want to make sure that you use your time, talents, and treasures to push things forward. You have an incredible place in the kingdom of God. And you often are the biggest encourager for other people to start giving. In fact, whenever you preach on giving, do you know who the one group of people are that loves when pastors preach on giving. It's those with the gift of generosity. They're like, yeah. So like, I had this guy come up to me after the first service. He's like, oh, that was, I just, I love it. And, uh, and he, says, he says to me, he goes, man, when you have the gift of generosity, and this is a private thing, I know the guy, we've talked about our spiritual gifts, whatever, so longtime friend. And, and, uh, and he says, no one will ever know the kinds of things that people with this gift do. It just lives in secret. And it's so true. 
but it is an accelerant for the kingdom of God in really practical ways. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you have this spiritual gift and you live with eyes that are just attentive, looking for ways to further what God is already doing in different places. It's a beautiful gift that is so helpful to the church. So take, the, take those and maybe you just ask yourself, where am I at on this? Um, I don't say this with some like, you know, rebuke you, but like probably everybody in the room fits in one of these categories, right? All right let's talk about some so what's. I want to say it again, probably beat this dead horse here, but your heart will love that to which you freely give. Why would God fundraise like this? Well, he could have made this law, right? But God's a genius. He doesn't just want forceful obedience. What does he want? He wants their heart and he wants to be present with them. And the free will offering is the most genius, strategic way to going about getting everything God really wants. There are some of you in this room, and you are absolutely 100% devoted to Dawn Shoemaker and her ministry because you have gone to Haiti with her, because you have supported financially, because guess what happened? When you gave, what happened? Your heart followed. Multiple people in this room have been to Haiti, some of you on like three, four, or five occasions or more, with Village Church to be a part of our sister church. And guess what? Guess where your heart is? Today, your heart is in Haiti because you know that earthquake was very close to our sister church. And your heart is there because you have invested in the kingdom of God in that place. This is just a rule. Your heart follows what you invest in. And so God is looking at all of us and saying, listen, Invest in building the kingdom. And I'll say this just myself. If you for a moment think we want your money, give it to a different local church. I just want your heart to be invested in building the kingdom because when you do that, your heart will come alive and that is what God wants for each and every one of us. Here's my second so what for you. May, you experience, may your experience at Village Church be healing and confidence building. Many of you are burned, you are jaded, you do not trust, I understand that. Trust is not something you ask for, it's something you earn over a period of time, amen? May you see where your offerings are going here. May you see God's people built. May you see the fruit where you take your time, talents, and treasure. May you be freely open and available to talk to any leader and ask any question you want. May you not receive a defensive spirit. May you not experience from our pulpit coercion, desperation, or manipulation. May you hear honesty. If there are hard times, we talk about it. If there's vision and it's we believe it's from the Lord, we talk about it. We cast out vision to you. You go home and you pray about it. And then you do what the Lord moves you to do and you do it willingly and freely and cheerfully. Uh, whether you're here for a month or you're here for 30 years or more, my prayer for you is that whatever pain you've had over watching coercion, manipulation, and desperation, that this will be a place of healing for you. It's not a mystery. And don't worry, I'm not about to ask for money. So just take that out of your brain. I'm not going there. Uh, I know some of you are like, here he goes. He's prepping for it. Um, we, we were going to do this fall a vision dinner. We have vision dinners usually every year. But uh, we talk about where we're going, what some of the major obstacles are between here and there. And if you haven't noticed, Village Church has changed a lot over the last year and a half. And, and we're just trying to help keep even our facility up to 
handle what actually is happening here on a Sunday morning throughout the week. And, and so we were getting ready to like share with you about church planting. Um, we were getting ready to share with you about a building expansion on the south side and a parking lot expansion, different things. And, and you know, we just, we postponed it till May because we were like, you know what? We just don't feel like we have clarity yet on what the Lord is doing. We're watching these things move. People are just emerging from COVID. We just need more time because what we wanted to do was steward anytime we stand before you and say, hey, here's what we think God is doing. We want to make sure we take the time to pray about it, that we're not presumptive about it, that we're patient about this, and that we're actually able to see, here's what we see God doing. Do you, you should be able to see what God's doing if we see it. And we want to be able to move in that direction and, and help invest in what God is already doing. And so we postpone that because we want to steward all of you really, really well. We also recognize this is a season in a geographical space where there's a lot of pain and hurt around giving. Here's my third, so what? With Jesus, the future is exciting and challenging. (laughs) Jesus is building his church everywhere you go. He's building his church at Alliance Bible Church. He's building his church and churches all over the world in this community and this city. Jesus is up to something. And I'm telling you, whenever you invest in the kingdom of God, he is moving, he is saving, he is drawing, he is at work. Even though the world is nuts and crazy and it's getting more challenging to navigate your personal convictions, but God is moving, period. And it is not just through this church. He is moving in neighborhoods and in Bible studies and in other churches. It is amazing. And I'm telling you, when you invest in the kingdom of God, you will see fruit because God is saving and transforming. And we get to this morning baptized two college-age girls who are just in love with the Lord and God is moving their life. Just two small examples of what the Lord is up to, not at Village Church per se, but globally. I want to take a moment as we end here, and I want to just pray for each one of you. Uh, my, my ending point is not, so give. <laughs> this is not my ending point. I did not want this sermon to be ending with some coercive, manipulative next step where I ask you to give. That would be fine if that was true and real, but that's not what I wanted. What I want to do is just encourage you with this. I want to encourage you to look at your life, ask yourself which Israel that you are, and seek to give God as much glory as you can as you invest in his kingdom wherever he plants you. Sound good? Let me pray. Oh Lord, I am thankful for Jesus, for your provision, for your sovereignty, for your mission. You are relentlessly all over the globe building your kingdom and saving people. And here in this space, the Village Church of Bartlett or in neighborhood Bible studies or in ministries that we're a part of, you are just working. And it's amazing. Despite what happens culturally, you're at work. So we love you. And uh, we, we just want to be a part of whatever you're doing. So God, I pray that you help each one of us give you glory with how we think about our time, our talents, and our treasures as we think about freely, willingly, and generously building your kingdom where you plant us. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, Village Church? Amen, amen.